From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. I'm with orthopedic surgeon Dr. Zachary Vredenberg. He's an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at Upstate, and we're going to talk about some of the most common sports injuries. Welcome, Dr. Vredenberg. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start with upper body injuries. Um, how is it that people dislocate or break their shoulders? How does that happen? So uh, usually with shoulder dislocations, you're looking at someone that has a fairly high energy injury. Uh, they're usually falling on an outstretched arm so that their arms above their head, although there's multiple different ways you can dislocate your shoulder. Um, you know, a lot of times we're seeing them in athletes, but it can also be from falling downstairs, from car crashes, things like that. Um, with fractures, you're usually talking about more of an impact to the shoulder. So a lot of times we're thinking mountain biking or uh, a higher energy fall onto the shoulder, um, uh, or, or in the case of proximal humerus fractures, which are one kind of shoulder fracture, an elderly person falling on their shoulder with weaker bone. So are th these sound pretty painful. Are they painful injuries? Yeah, you know, they're all to varying degrees and it depends on the energy. Uh, patients with shoulder dislocations, especially the younger, more active ones, they tend to recover uh, a lot quicker uh, and can get back to doing their activities more quickly if they're not requiring a surgery. Um, so oftentimes those patients, you know, uh, can just get along with some over-the-counter pain medications, a little bit of therapy, and can get back out on the field or to, to their activities. Whereas the patients with fractures, we usually need to have a little bit more time uh, of some relative immobilization. So let me interrupt and ask you about dislocations. Uh, so there's not a break with that. That's just one of the bones being pulled out of its place? Yeah, so a shoulder dislocation would be when the ball and socket joint uh, move out of place, specifically the ball moves out of place with the socket. Um, you oftentimes don't have a fracture or a break associated with that, but sometimes there are some fractures um, um, that do happen with that. Those are usually uh, 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 more minor, but some can sometimes require surgery. Um, uh, it's usually more of a soft tissue injury to the shoulder, meaning you're hurting something called the labrum, which is like a little rubber bumper in the front or the back part of the shoulder. Or sometimes, especially with older people, you can injure your rotator cuff, which are the muscles that attach around your shoulder when you dislocate. So for dislocations or, or breaks, if it's something that requires surgery, is that something that's going to need to be done emergently right away? Not in an emergent uh, sense. Uh, you know, we usually see these patients within a couple of days, uh, depending on what the injury actually was. You know, if you were in a car accident, we usually see those patients right away in the emergency room. But some people come in with these breaks or dislocations around the shoulder that, um, you know, that have happened a few days ago, went somewhere else. Um, and then we usually, if it, if we determine that it needs surgery, we usually try to get those done within a couple of weeks, just for the patient's perspective to to kind of improve their pain faster and also um, uh, to get them rehabbing and moving a little bit faster. Now, do the treatment options differ depending on the age of the patient? Uh, yeah, for each injury they do. Uh, for shoulder dislocations, just to for take an example, in younger patients, you're much more likely to have recurrent or repeat shoulder dislocations if you dislocate when you're younger. So if you're under the age of 20, there's an 80 or 90% chance that you'll dislocate your shoulder again. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to have surgery, um, but it's just one of the factors that we take in, uh, you know, into consideration. Uh, if you're an older patient, especially over the age of 50 or so, we say that if you dislocate your shoulder, you have probably a 50% or higher chance that you tore your rotator cuff 
uh, when you dislocate it. So that may require surgery. It's not necessarily the dislocation, but it's the damage that it does. Um, so there's different considerations for different age groups and also activity levels. So it's not just, age is just a number for, for us. You know, there's a lot of 50 year olds that are still very active and for whatever the, you know, the, the injury or the ailment is, you know, would require a surgery when someone, you know, who's not quite as active, but is younger may not. So longer term, once you recover from the surgery, um, years later, does that mean you're going to have arthritis in that bone? Yeah, studies seem to show that if you have a dislocation to your shoulder, that you do have a little bit higher chance of getting arthritis later in life. And, you know, having the surgery uh, as a young person uh, because of the shoulder dislocation, we don't necessarily know for sure that that's going to decrease that risk of arthritis. We really, in sports medicine, a lot of our surgeries are are to, to make you functionally better at the time of surgery. Um, and, you know, these longer term potential benefits are something that, you know, may or may not uh, come along with those as well. Now, what about someone who lifts weights regularly to keep their upper body strengthened? Do they have less of a, is that a protective factor for them against? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, when you, if you go to the extreme of that, it's going to be harder to dislocate, uh, you know, a 350 pound offensive lineman shoulder than a hundred pound, you know, uh, dancer. But, uh, you know, by, for, for your specific self, if you lift a lot of weights, I don't know how much it's going to help, you know, one specific person uh, decrease their chance of having dislocations. There's not a whole lot of protective things you can do before, you know, before the first time other than being active and, and staying in good shape. It's really, uh, you know, getting in those provocative positions that cause the dislocations. That's the biggest risk factor. Now, I've heard of something, I don't think it's a break, um, something called tennis elbow. And I've heard that people can get this even if they're not tennis players. So can you tell us what that is and what causes it? Yeah, it's it's extremely common. And I actually usually don't see it. Or I, the, the more the people I see are not tennis players that have that. Uh, it's, it's a tendonitis on the outside part of your forearm right near your elbow. And it's mostly from uh, repeatedly lifting things and extending your wrist up in the air with weight on it. So even carrying a briefcase, carrying a laptop, um, things like that, carrying your, you know, even just your groceries or something repetitively is what usually uh, leads to this. And it's more of a tendon degeneration problem on the outside part of your elbow. Um, but it can also happen with tennis as well, obviously. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, conservative treatments for this, and it usually doesn't require a surgery. It usually goes away, but it can be a very annoying thing for patients and take a really long time to kind of burn out and get better. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Zachary Vredenberg. We've been talking about upper body injuries, but now I'd like to ask you about some of the lower body injuries that you see. Um, when someone twists or rolls an ankle and it hurts and it swells up, how do you go about determining whether there's a break or a sprain? So x-rays are the easiest thing. Um, but before even getting x-rays, uh, you know, just uh, examining the patient, really seeing where their pain is, if it's really in their ankle, if it's in their foot, you know, you don't want to get too many x-rays and, uh, and, you know, subject patients to that um, when, you know, you really want to be certain where the pain is. So when you twist your ankle, you could have pain all the way up near your knee and have an injury up there, or you can have something all the way down in the base of your foot that's actually causing the injury. Um, so physical exam is first and foremost important, then following that up with x-rays, if appropriate, um, which usually if patients are coming to us, they have enough pain and something bad enough is going on that, that warrants an x-ray, especially if they're not able to put weight on that extremity. So which heals faster, a break or a sprain? <laughs> That's a very common question, uh, and it really depends on the patient. So in general, fractures take about six weeks 
uh, to heal fractures about the ankle. Um, it depends exactly what the fracture is. Um, but in general, you're looking at around six weeks or a little bit longer for the bone to actually start to really heal back in place. A lot of ankle sprains, people feel better in one or two weeks. Uh, but there are some that patients are still really struggling with at six or eight weeks out from the injury. And there's two, actually two different kinds of major ankle sprains. There's a high ankle sprain and a low ankle sprain. And you see a lot of the athletes, uh, especially in the news, are having high ankle sprains and are having surgeries now for those. Um, and those are a little bit of a different animal. Those are usually are a little bit more uh, more severe and more painful and can take a little bit longer to to get better from. Well, you mentioned recovering from a break could be six weeks, but that's just from six weeks until you can walk on it again? Or, I mean, you're not going to be back to normal activities, are you? Exactly. And it depends, you know, some of the, some ankle fractures you can walk on right away and it's safe to walk on right away. And some of them you need to go in a cast for a certain period of time. Uh, and that just depends on the severity and if there's other associated ligament injuries. But that's correct. Even if you're if you're putting a cast on day one and six weeks later you come out of the cast, you're not going to be normal at six weeks. So you're still going to usually need or want some therapy and need some time to kind of ease back into weight bearing and get back to normal activities. So even though you know it's important to stress that six weeks for the bone to heal does not mean six weeks for your body to feel normal again. Well, you mentioned ligaments, so let's get into ligaments and tendons, uh, things like Achilles tendon tears, um, ACL um, tears in the knee. You probably see a lot of these, right? Yes, and and so with, with Achilles tendon tears, um, a lot of these tend to be your more recreational weekend athletes, although, you, again, you see professional athletes getting these too. That's in the ankle as well, right? Correct. In the back of the Correct. ankle? So that's in the back of the ankle, and the typical story is you're running, and it feel like someone shot you in the back of the heel with a with a bullet or with a stone, and you hear a loud pop, and your ankle swells up. Um, and you know, I think people are surprised to hear that a lot of these can be treated safely without surgery. And a very high demand person who's very active or a, definitely a professional level athlete, a lot of times they'll fix these with surgery. But these can heal despite the tendon being completely torn. These do heal and give good functional results with conservative or non-operative treatment as well. Um, and, and you avoid a lot of the risks of surgery uh, around the ankle and around that part of the ankle specifically. So it's it's something that even though it sounds like a bad injury and is very painful at first, uh, a lot of times, um, you know, it's reasonable to treat that without surgery. It sounds like the kind of thing that doesn't really take much for it to to tear or rupture. Is there any way to predict it or prevent it? You know, some people with chronic tendinosis or degeneration in the tendon, you know, maybe at a little bit higher of a risk. Uh, and I think the same thing goes that we said earlier, staying in shape, you know, not going out and, you know, being a couch potato and then trying to go, you know, play a pickup football game uh, over Thanksgiving. Those kinds of things where you're putting your body in positions that it's not normally and I think puts you at the, a very large risk of the Achilles injuries. If you've torn a ligament uh, and it either surgically is repaired or it, it repairs on its own, does that mean you're always going to have sort of a weakness in that area, or is it possible to build it back it's, strong? It's possible to build it back strong, and with a lot of these, uh, you know, talk, you know, ACL injuries, for instance, after surgery, a lot of those patients uh, never necessarily get back to exactly 100% same as the other leg, but get back to a high enough percentage of strength and functionality that, you know, you can't tell the difference between the two legs. Uh, if you didn't see the scars there, the patients can't tell the difference other than knowing that they had surgery on the one leg. So a lot of these sports injuries that we've talked about um, can be treated without surgery, but you're an orthopedic surgeon. Do you still care for the patients who don't need surgery, but they, I mean, do they still need to come to a specialist for their injury? 
Yes, absolutely. And and depending on what it is, you know, we may need to see it more than once or sometimes with some more minor things, we only need to see you one time, but, you know, we'll keep tabs on you. And if, if you're having any issues, we'll see you back. Um, but, you know, that's what most of my practice and most of my partner's practices is conservative treatment and, you know, getting people back through therapy, through, you know, judicious use of injections uh, and over-the-counter medications to kind of get them back into an active lifestyle. And it seems, I mean, you deal with a lot of injuries that don't happen during uh, nine to five weekdays. So I, I know the orthopedic, the sports medicine people, at least see you see patients on the weekend as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in non-COVID times, there'd be a lot of sports going on right now. We'd be covering games. We'd be, you know, taking care of the college and the high school athletes. So things are a little bit different now. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of weekend and night hours involved. <clears throat> and we have, you know, early morning office hours and after hours uh, at our at our office on Fly Road uh, to accommodate, you know, those kinds of injuries and other types of uh, after hours care. Even though professional and amateur sporting um, events have sort of been curtailed in this time of COVID, are you still seeing regular people um, that sustain injuries such as these during the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. We're still seeing a lot of people doing work on their house or people, you know, out, um, you know, playing water sports or recreationally, you know, there's still people out there getting injured. And it's definitely not the same as it would be. But, uh, um, but you know, a lot of what we see again is not the high school, college, pro athletes. It's it's everyday people who are you know trying to get back to functionality and whose shoulder hurts because they did too much painting the other day, or who you know was out playing with their with their child and tripped and hurt their knee. So we're still obviously seeing all those people. Well, thanks for sharing your information with us. Thank you to Dr. Zachary Vredenberg, an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.